dangerously close. My guest today is William J. Cole. William J. Cole recently retired as New England editor for the Associated Press, is an award-winning former (laughs) former foreign correspondent who's reported from North America, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Um, And like I had said, I was not going to read your entire bio because the list of things that you have done are just... But let's let's hit some of the high points. Uh, For one, you are... A 2022 fellow in aging journalism at Columbia University, which will definitely come into uh, play. Uh, you were based in Paris. You told the extraordinary story of Jean Calvin. Did I pronounce Parfait. that right? Parfait. Oh, right. Hell yeah. We, 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 before we started recording, I, I, told, I asked, uh, I asked Bill to please tell me how to say that name. <laughs> um, who lived to 120, Jean Calvin. Lived to 120, 20, what, sorry, 122, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, you studied journalism at Boston University. I studied journalism at uh, MTSU, so we have something sort of in common. Okay, cool. Uh, you covered Dr. Jack Kevorkian. I have so many opinions about him. Uh, I'm, everyone does, of course. I'll let mine be known. I'm pro, <laughs> I am pro Dr. Jack Kevorkian, but not, I mean, I'm sure you've met him, so you might have... Uh, that, no, he was a man. He was a man <laughs> before his time, obviously, right? He was, yes. you know, he, he was taking us to a place we weren't ready to go yet. Uh, you were, not you, literally. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you were the AP's bureau chief in Amsterdam and Vienna. Man, that sounds so f- cool to live in uh, Vienna. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh my God, when you were in Paris, he was the uh, lead writer on the crash that killed Princess Diana. You were at The Hague, where you reported on uh, the Libyans that blew up Pan Am Flight 103. You were there when they elected, elected Pope Benedict the what 16th? Yes. In Belgrade. You covered Kosovo's independence, the arrest of former Yugoslav strongman. How am I going to ever say this? Slobodan Milosevic. Slobodan Milosevic. He's gone. <laughs> he's, he's out of there. And your favorite assignment which I, I found to be interesting because I also have huge, I've had more opinions on this than I do on Jack of Warkian, uh, <laughs> was covering poor Pluto's demotion to a dwarf planet at a uh, meeting of leading astronomers in Prague. Oh my God, you've got all these awards. We're not going to, people are getting sick of me talking. So I'm just going to say one last thing. You speak French, Dutch, and German. So it's a hell of a lot of languages, Bill. Well, you know, I have nothing but respect for people who learn languages with another alphabet, right? I mean, yeah. the ones I speak are just sort of, okay, fine. But I have friends who speak Arabic and Mandarin and Russian, and I can't even imagine how you do that. Yeah, yeah. I can like, so I can go down to Mexico and get around, you know, and I can like order food at a restaurant. So that is my... uh that's my uh, bilingualism uh, achievement, which is I minored in Spanish. And the, the best I can do is like I can order food. I can talk to my mechanic because uh, he doesn't speak. Uh, we, well, a lot of times we, we use Google Translate. But anyway, I'm sitting here bragging about how I half ass speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I wanted to I wanted to start this uh, on a story that I think I think most people will no matter no matter what kind of person you are, like rich or poor, you know, like you might 
find some joy in uh, a lawyer trying to get over on somebody and having it blow up in their face. And when I read the story in your book, it really, man, it, it gave me a smile. It, and I was just wondering if you'd be willing to share the story of Jean Calment and her lawyer. And uh, he tried to buy her apartment, correct? In a, in a, in an unusual way. Yeah, sure. So, um, and just to recap, Jean Calment, uh, was still is the oldest person who ever lived whose age could be authenticated by records and she lived to 122 years and 164 days and um that records part is important because you know we all have been in the supermarket checkout line and you see some tabloid report about some 150 year old man living in the Brazilian rainforest or something like that, right? And who's to say, right? I mean, there, you know, there are 8 billion of us at, at any given time. Since, since we became a species, there have been about 117 billion of us who have walked the earth. So I, you can't say that somebody hasn't lived to 150. Yeah. But where's the proof? There's no proof. And in, in Jean Calamont's case, there was proof. Uh, you know, lots of records. And uh, she's still the, the 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 oldest person who ever lived as far as the Guinness book is concerned and, and, and science is concerned. But yeah, she uh, when she was 90, uh, her her lawyer, who was also a notary, uh, approached her with what he thought was a very shrewd deal uh, in France. You can they have a special sort of system um, where you can. Uh, sort of sort of buy out somebody, an older person, out of their apartment, and then it becomes yours when they die. And uh, th this gives the the older person some finances to you know live on. And then you know the benefit to you is that you've got a, a nice little you know it's like rent control apartments in New York or something. You know it's mm -hmm. a sweet deal. So the the lawyer did this uh, when Jean Calmont <laughs> was ninety. And the years ticked by, the decades ticked by, and uh, she just kept living. And uh, actually, he died before she did. He was, you know, uh, 30 or 40 years younger than she was. He, he died. Every year, she used to send him a postcard that said, Désolé, je suis toujours vivant, which means, sorry, I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of a really cheeky thing to do, but she would send him yeah. a postcard. Uh, in the end, you know, he paid way more than that apartment was worth, uh, about 200000 U.S. dollars, and he never got a chance to live in it himself because that's, she lived so damn long. That's so and, crazy. You know, I guess, like, in, in a way, it, it it is a morbid practice because it's – but at the same time, uh, like, like what you said, there does seem to be some – there's some things about it that I that I can agree with where it's like, say there's an older person that they're not in a great financial situation, they're not going to need the apartment later, and they can be helped out. So you know, it's it's uh, I'll call that gray area. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I guess so. You met her when she was like 121, or is that when you were? Yeah, the first time was 120. Uh, there was a big birthday bash for her, and uh, she in her 120th year overtook a Japanese fellow uh, to become, at that point, the world's oldest living human. And so we did a lot of uh, coverage of, of her, obviously, yeah. and then caught up with her again when she was 121. She was she actually recorded a rap 
video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was really, it's a little misleading. She more or less was murmuring and mumbling in French uh, yeah. on this track while this, you know, group was, you know, mixing it up musically. But the... Uh, Still the very of, cool. Very cool. And the name, the name of the album was Maîtresse du Temps, which in French means Time's Mistress. <laughs> so, All right. You know, yeah. So she was a very edgy uh, person, very smart, uh, right up until the end. My favorite quote from Jean Calment was, I only have one wrinkle and I'm sitting on it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, this is this is pure speculation, but perhaps you know a good sense of humor can. And you know what? I think it's more than speculation. I truly believe this. I think a good sense of humor uh, is going to contribute to the longevity. I really believe that. It's it's more than just a, a theory. I mean, it's it's actually a reality. I in my book, I I devote an entire chapter uh, to the roles that belief and positivity play in our lives, uh, in lengthening our lives and being positive, being, uh, having a great sense of humor actually add years to our lives. Uh, yeah. So that it's, yeah. And it, of course, it, you know, the, the reverse is true. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, they can, they can take years, you know, pessimism and, and negativity can take years off of our lives. Yeah, man. Ah. You gotta just you gotta find a way to like not let that pessimism take control. My new thing uh, that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do a de uh, a one day a week detox where I don't consume any uh, news or internet. Which I know for you, like in your career, that probably wasn't even an option. You probably had to just be accepting the fact that there was news at all times. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just saw the door to your your uh, room open slightly. I think that uh, was the ghost of Jean Calment entering. Wouldn't that be awesome if she showed up uh, here? Hi, Jean. Uh, for, for those joining <laughs> us now, 122 uh, year old Jean Calment has joined us, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I saw that. I saw that in the camera myself. The door just opening. Look, it's still opening slowly behind me. <laughs> That's wild, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Look. I know we're here to talk about uh, the Big One Hundred, which is the title of your book, uh, and the new world of super aging. But I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about reporting on Pluto um, and the so-called astronomers <laughs> that uh, took away its status as a planet. Obviously, I have opinions about this too, uh, you know, but a lot of people did. Uh, but can you tell me what it was like uh, being on that assignment? Like, was there tension, and you know? Because people really went up up in arms about this event. And I was wondering, was there tension among the astronomers? Like maybe with even yourself? Were you kind of like, did you have a, a stake in yeah. this? <laughs> there was, well, you know, we all grew up with, you know, with Pluto being in our solar system. I remember as a kid, you know, we had those mobiles, mobiles, mo mobiles hanging from the ceiling of our classrooms with all the planets, you know, and Pluto was right in there. Yeah. And so, you know. Uh, there was a lot of emotion, even among the, the in the scientific community, and there were uh, factions who were arguing, you know, uh, very very vigorously for Pluto to maintain its place in the solar system. And at the end, they they lost, you know, and Pluto was demoted to a dwarf planet. But the thing that made this so crazy <laughs> was that you know everybody knows about you know our solar system at those mobiles. Is it mobile or mobile or mobile? I let me let me tell mobile you. Mobile is in Alabama. It's it's very funny to me that you keep doing. So 
I have a five month old uh, baby, and I have he's got a crib, and he's got a he's got a this is what he's got. He's got a mobile, he's got a mobile, and he's got a mobile. And it all depends on how what my mood is when I walk in there because I have no idea how to pronounce it. So uh, I think probably I say <laughs> I think I say mobile the most because it's like the most common usage of that word. But mobile, you're right. That's a place in that's in Alabama, right? Mobile. That sounds, and that's like a medical thing. Yeah, that's that's getting around. Right? Well, <laughs> there, anyway, there is no answer to this question. Sorry, but we but, digress. But well, I, sorry, I had I had to jump in there because this is this is a daily activity for me is mispronouncing uh, his mobile. <laughs> well, I think the, you know Pluto's demotion just uh, caused such a stir uh, because we were we were so emotionally attached to Pluto, especially Pluto. The, you know the we associate Pluto also with a you know with a cartoon character and yeah and, uh, you know Pluto is sort of beloved and uh, Pluto is like a is like a plush toy for some kids and you know so we have a, a an attachment to that planet and um, and then all the textbooks had to be rewritten and reillustrated and so there was a lot a lot of people you know kind of uh, you know dismayed that Pluto would be downgraded but it was it was a lot of fun i got to use a lot of dad jokes and terrible puns <laughs> yeah you know but, so uh you know it was fun it was fun yeah especially because you know because there is the uh is that disney is pluto disney yeah right yeah so but you know in so many ways pluto is an underdog as a planet so that's right yeah all right exactly. you know what I, I just i had to get into it for a second just <laughs> but you know what look it's done uh the astronomers had their way. Fine. <laughs> um, let's, you know, you know, let's, yeah. Once, once we're out colonizing, you know, other solar <laughs> systems, I, I think maybe we'll bring Pluto back. Right there, we go. Uh, so this is a, a small anecdote, but it has a lot to do with uh, kind of like I think one of the biggest uh, themes in in the book. And all right, I'll just tell it like a story, like how I tell all my stories. Okay. There I was. <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was reading your book, and I I took a break uh, to watch uh, old episodes of Arrested Development on Netflix, which I often do when I want to stop learning and make my brain turn off. Is just watch like, you know, the first season of that stupid show, and uh, but then right there on the main screen is a documentary about Blue Zones, and uh, I didn't watch it, but. Obviously, the concept of blue zones is uh, gaining popularity in the zeitgeist right now. Um, you know, I feel right. like a couple of years ago that was a word that you know not was not being used frequently. Uh, so, first question, you know, obviously, what the heck is a blue zone? And then, as a follow up, uh, why do their seniors like? Why do they seem so healthy? What's what it is? What is it about the blue zone that's giving this uh, appearance of health? Right. So I think the blue zones are pretty misunderstood, actually. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But the blue zones were they, they are fundamentally five places on Earth. Now they've just added a sixth, Singapore. Uh, but five uh, originally uh, around the world where people seem to live longer and healthier lives. The myth is that those places produce significantly more people who live to 100 and beyond. And the, the science just doesn't really bear that out. What what we can say about the blue zones is people do live into their 90s and they live in very good health. 
So there's a lot we can learn from the blue zones. The, there's only one in the United States. It's in Loma Linda, California. And uh, of course, and it's in others, California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and then the others are in um, Costa Rica has the Nicoya Peninsula, uh, Sardinia in Italy, um, Ikaria in Greece, um, and Okinawa in Japan. Uh, th those are the key places where, uh, you know, they're studying that, you know, these elders. So not to disparage the blue zones because they may not necessarily produce greater numbers of people who live to 100, but we can learn a lot from from what they do. You know, they some of the key things they do, first of all, their diets do vary, you know, because in some places they eat more, you know, uh, dairy and and in, in other places more fish and, and, and stuff like that. But they do tend to eat cleanly and in general, more of a Mediterranean diet. So, you know, we, we know that that helps us. Um, they uh, are very, very socially connected with each other. These tend to be small places. And so people have really nice connections with each other, with family, with friends. They do life together. And that's, as I explained in my book, you know, that really uh, is critical. Um, because loneliness and isolation uh, kill us, actually. And uh, a couple other things that are really interesting. They they really seem to have a good handle on stress. Stress is the, is the enemy of longevity. Uh, it's actually the reason why I took early retirement from AP uh, a year ago. Toxic stress. It's just it 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 hammers us, and it it just it's life sapping. You know. Yeah. And they, these people in the blue zones tend to really, you know, handle stress very well. There's a couple of other things that are really cool that we don't talk about that much. Uh, one is that uh, people in the blue zones tend to only eat until they're about 80% full and then they stop, which oh, is so yeah. weird. Well, because I'm, you know, I don't know about you, Doug, but I, for me, I usually pig out and then I push myself away from the table <laughs> in, in agony, you know. And yeah, like, yeah. we are exactly alike in that right. way. Because... So, you know, it's it's just, a, it's just how we roll. But, you know, um, there is something to be said for not doing that. And for, you know. Uh, yeah. And the other thing that we very rarely talk about is um, good sleep hygiene, especially in North America, where we hammer all the time and we burn the candle at both ends. And, you know, we almost think this this work ethic and this way of trying to wring every ounce of productivity out of every minute of the day is 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 good it's not good you know and uh sleep we need our sleep it, it renews our bodies it renews our brains and yeah. uh it's a part of the equation of of living long the thing i want to just say about the blue zones is that uh that documentary very interesting uh really super interesting but they focus only on the things that we can do to live to 100. And there are things, you know, our, our diet, exercise, uh, limiting our sun exposure, which is which can really have an adverse effect over time. Uh, so there's lots of things we can do, but what they don't really mention in the documentary is genetics. Yeah. And we, you know, there's, that's a huge piece of, of getting us to 100, our, our genes. I was going to say too, because I, Obviously, I'm you know I'm I'm talking outside of school every time I, I say anything because I'm not a I'm not a scientist. <laughs> but um, one thing that struck me when you said Okinawa, I because you know I was thinking when you brought up stress and Japan is so 
stereotypically known for being or having a very stressed out population because business everybody is so uh like really focused on working hard working long hours although i i guess i've heard there's been some uh changes recently and um maybe even they might even be one of the countries that will be adopting the four the four-day work week um some stuff like that but i don't i i can't speak to that but do you think uh when it comes to like okinawa like uh I guess I don't know how exactly how to put this. Is that like kind of maybe different than Tokyo? I mean, do they have a different like vibe yeah. there? Yes. So I, I and big caveat, I've not been to Okinawa, but Okinawa is an island. You know, it's got uh it's 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 distant from the hustle and bustle of Tokyo, which is, you know, we call New York the city that never sleeps, but really it's that's Tokyo. It's neon. Yeah. And every, <laughs> you know, it's just it, it's always up in your face and there's no getting away from it. And you're right. Jap in Japan, uh, you know, work stress is kind of off the charts. There's also high levels of suicide. It's a social problem that they've been grappling with for years. But on Okinawa, things seem to be a little more chill. Yeah. And people, you know, go through life a little bit. Now, this is also um up for debate and it may be changing uh people are saying that okinawa may not long be a blue zone because people are changing their lifestyles smoking is increasing uh you know people are eating more fast food they're yeah they're uh, becoming more obese these are all things that we struggle with in our country but uh yeah so i mean it's it's uh it's hard to make sweeping generalizations about any place it, People see these blue zones and they think, "Oh, I got, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move there. And I'll live to a hundred. Yeah, I would, I would say if you're contemplating moving to a blue zone, pack your jeans, <laughs> and I mean, I mean the G E N E S kind. Yeah, you know, because again, <laughs> this is a huge part, unfortunately, uh, of you know living to 100 is having that sort of cosmic you know advantage of you know from our from our parents and our grandparents yeah i think i think i i've got a good shot man uh the only thing is uh all the elders in my family what got them all was uh they all got got by cigarettes but that's uh that's a choice that's not something so you know yeah and i had uh and one guy sadly covid but he made it almost to 100 so pretty damn good you know um uh i'm sorry i was what i lost track a little bit oh i was gonna say something stupid i'll say it anyway uh i think uh in regards to okinawa you know recently they released all that water from fukushima so also that could be a concern for a blue zone if you're eating fish out of that water yeah that doesn't that doesn't inspire (laughs) confidence um man here's like this is just off the wall question uh I just kind of like curious what you might think because I find it fascinating uh, like the after World War II uh, that they would go and continuously uh, keep hunting the Nazi war criminals at no matter no matter how old they got. Um, obviously, at this point, we're starting to probably get to the point where there aren't, aren't many left. But, uh, right. <laughs> you know, in your career, you've reported from The Hague. And as far as I know, there's no statute of limitations on Nazi war crimes. What do you think are the chances we might still see a like 120 year old Nazi go on trial? 
I, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's unlikely, you know. I mean, this this generation is is you know winding down. Yeah, but it's certainly possible, you know. I mean, there's uh, in the book. I also examine um, th- this whole phenomenon of um, longevity uh, hacks and life extension and all this stuff. So there's a whole, you know, there are billionaires. Jeff Bezos is one one of them who's investing in companies. Uh, in Silicon Valley and in, you know, these big pharmaceutical uh, ventures that are trying to essentially find ways to, uh, you know, come up with medicines that might, uh, you know, extend our lives. And it's a very interesting issue. I think it's almost an immoral issue from where I stand uh, for a couple of reasons, but one of the, you know, I mean, the, the, the biggest reason is that, uh, even in our country, we have a, a longevity gap. Uh, people of color don't live as long as white people. And so yeah. unless and until we can close that gap. And, you know, it seems to me to be uh, unconscionable that we have rich people trying to live longer, you know. But to your hypothetical question about a 120-year-old war criminal, um, in my book, there's a, you know, I quote a uh, a bioethicist talking about these longevity uh hacks and and uh, things that we might be able to do to to prolong our lives and he says one one downside of that would be dictators living too long imagine yeah. if you have somebody yeah. in power you know and and you know at some point you know they're going to die and you know another leader is going to take over hopefully a more benevolent person but if if there's somebody who's who is uh, despicable and is able to, you know, stay alive and stay in power. Uh, that's not good. <laughs> I'm against I, that. You know, <laughs> uh, incidentally, uh, Henry Kissinger is a hundred years old now. Uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Mr. Kissinger. If you're listening, I know you might be a fan of the show, uh, but you know, he's still got a chance to go to the Hague, but yeah, like you said, like these people that, that uh, one of my, there's a meme and it's another morbid thing, but I do enjoy them. Whenever someone really, really cool dies, they always show the grim reaper uh, using one of those claw machines. And he's going like, and he's always going Henry Kissinger, Henry Kissinger. And he goes, Oh, <laughs> Betty white. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He harvested the wrong person. Yeah. So it's sickle. Yes. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Betty White because honestly, you know, we're talking about some negative and somewhat bleak aspects of of living to 100, but I think there's a lot of brightness uh in yeah. in our longevity futures potentially. And and Betty White kind of personifies that. I mean, she lived a great life. I love I love how Betty White by the way died at 99 just a few weeks before she turned 100 so that People magazine was already on the newsstands with Betty White is 100. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 Betty White was laughing her ass off, you know, from the grave. Like she got the last laugh on all of us. Yes. Like her, her final gag, you know, was like, ha ha, yeah. I'm, I'm exiting now. But, she, you know, what a wonderful person, you know, and I'm I'm thinking of others. Um you know John uh, Williams, the the composer, you know, the, who gave us the Star Wars theme and Jaws theme, and and you know last year he became the oldest uh, uh, person who to ever be nominated for an Academy Award. You know, and he at ninety, wow. I think he's now ninety one. He's still writing wow. music. Yeah. You know? So this is the I think the 
the upside of a longer life is that uh, potentially we can create and contribute uh, even longer into our lengthening lives. Yeah. And um, I, on, on just to add to like, you know, of course, Betty White, great comedian, hilarious person. And like we had said earlier, you know, the joy of, you know, the joy of like humor and all that stuff, giving you that positivity, you know, also probably just like a reason to keep going because you're having fun. Uh, Absolutely. But yeah. I'm thinking like, you know, William Shatner, another person, you know. At, oh, at yeah. At 90 years old, Captain Kirk goes into space for real. And how cool is that? You know? He's a I've uh, never met him personally, but I, I know a lot of people that have. Apparently, he is so nice, like just so cool and chill to talk to. Yeah. And he's 90 and he's like not he's not even slowing down. He actually just made some new reality show. Uh, I didn't watch it, but it's called like. I don't know, some celebrity Martian shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote a book and he, yeah, he's just, he's, he's uh, very active. You know, I, um, for the book, I interviewed Jane Goodall, the, the, the famous. Oh yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's 89 right now. So she's, she's somewhat, you know, distant from 100, but she's never worked harder in her life than she is right now. And she's jumping on planes and traveling around and, you know, she's an amazing individual. And again, she sort of epitomizes, you know, what, uh, you know, what a long and healthy and vibrant life can mean. Uh, yeah. And she, you know, she's also you know, working hard on on climate change and biodiversity and, and, and other issues that are really important, you know, so. Uh, yeah, she's a she's a personal hero of mine. Yeah. For, uh, in so many ways. Yeah, that's so cool. She's a just also guys, you know, like, you can hear me all day say, Hey, this book was great. And I liked it, but let me go ahead and tell you that Dr. Jane Goodall, one of the greatest science, one of the greatest living scientists in the world, uh, right there on the smack dab on the cover of the book. It's a quote by her saying, read this book. So anyway, that's a plug from Jane Goodall since she couldn't be here today to, to do it. I'm so grateful. And, and it's, it's very humbling. I'm, I'm really, yeah, it's blown away. But. Hold up. It's time for an announcement. You know, last year I ran a half marathon, and it was for a good cause, so I guess you could say I'm a bit of a philanthropist. But the problem was, I didn't really train for it, so I maybe ran for about half the way, and then kind of switched to more of a shuffle for the last five miles. At about that point, there was a booth set up handing out energy goo, and I figured this energy goo was going to give me what I needed to get across the finish line. But instead of making me run faster, all the taurine and caffeine and other chemicals in it actually just started making me feel itchy and like my heart was going to explode. And then I started seeing sleep paralysis demons in my peripheral vision. And what I should have done and what I do now is take a shot of Magic Mind for energy. What's Magic Mind, you ask? Well, if you like getting a nice little energy boost without seeing shadow people, then you'll love Magic Mind. It's a little green shot made of all natural ingredients, like matcha. Nature's Extended Release Caffeine. Caffeine from matcha takes longer to release and helps to reduce stress. Ashwagandha. Used medicinally since 6000 BC. An adaptogen that reduces stress and anxiety. Cordyceps Mushrooms. And my personal favorite, Lion's Mane Mushrooms. The fluffiest mushroom out there. Another nootropic and adaptogen. It reduces anxiety, inflammation, and while supporting cognition by preventing neural generation and stimulating neural regeneration. And here's some other good news. You can go to www.magicmind forward slash Doug and use promo code Doug20 for 20% off a one-time purchase 
or you can use the same code for 56% off a subscription to Magic Mind. Once again, that is www.magicmind forward slash Doug, promo code Doug20. And now back to the interview. Oh, I'm sorry. This is this was uh I I kind of like shifted gears. Uh, is what I meant to do, but then my brain stopped working, which happens all the time now. Uh, because I, I speaking of sleep, I don't get as much as I I used to get tons of it. Now I get a little bit less. Uh, hopefully that'll oh, level out soon. You have a five month old. Uh, you know that that does uh, cut <laughs> into one sleep. I think he likes to wake up every morning around four for to like a bottle, and then I'm not great at getting back to sleep. So. Anyway, enough about me and more about people that are turning 100 and or turning 110. Uh, and this is just like, you know, just anecdotal, my own experience with people that I've met that are very, very, very old. Uh, you know, most people that I've met that are around 100 years old or older, <clears throat> you know, they don't seem like they're likely to be working for a landscaping company or, you know, getting a job in auto manufacturing, you know, these, in you know, these just things just ways to make some cash you know or have a career uh do you do you expect there to be like an increased risk of elder poverty and is like is there any way we can combat that like as a society as all of us oh such a great question and yes sadly i think that we could see elder poverty on a scale we've never seen before um as people live into their hundreds you know one of the first questions that comes to mind when you consider uh, oh, I'm going to live to 100 is where the hell am I going to find enough money to pay 100 years worth of bills? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's a scary proposition. And then you look at the statistics. The, the average American uh, only has thirty thousand dollars set aside for retirement, uh, you know, which is woefully insufficient. This type it's you know, that's crazy. Uh, most I think about half of uh, of uh, people uh, over 65 rely solely on social security to make ends meet. And the, the average social security payment is something around 1700 bucks a month. So, you know, that alone is borderline poverty. Uh, yeah. and you know, if we're going to live long, um, a couple of things, right. I mean, are we going to retire at 65? I mean, people are already not doing that. Um, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to, think about exiting the workforce in your 60s if you're going to live to 100 or 105 or 110. Yeah. Well, then what does that mean? Are people going to work into their 80s or even 90s? And if they do, uh, what kind of jobs? You, you mentioned, you know, landscaping, uh, you know, working on the assembly line uh, at GM or someplace. That, that That's not going to happen for people in at those advanced ages. And I, so I think, again, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a difference between people who, you know, worked white collar jobs and, and in air conditioned offices, and maybe they can do some consulting or they can work from home and they can still make some bank, you know, uh, you know, in their older, elder years. And then there's a whole bunch of people who, you know, work blue collar jobs and, and they, you know, they would have to work in the heat and outdoors and, you can't. That is not viable for somebody in in uh, his or her eighties or nineties, you know, to do that. So, lots of things have to be rethought uh, in our society. We're, we're, what's happening is we're we're aging and living longer 
but our society really isn't designed to sustain us and, and to support us. Uh, and so that, th my book sort of argues a rethink of a lot of those things so that we don't have the specter of people outliving their money and, you know, being in misery. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know what? I hate to bring this up because I have a tendency to uh, insult Elon Musk at least once every episode. Oh, However, let's do it. I have, well, I think I have a solution. Uh, although this is uh, pie in the sky, wishful thinking. If uh, let's just say Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and the people of that ilk, if they paid their fair share and they paid their taxes and it went into social security, it would be solvent and it could be solvent for another century, you know, potentially. And and it could be even a higher pay, you know, instead of a $1,700 payout, it could be maybe like a $2,500 payout, something that's a little bit easier to live on. And uh, absolutely, anyway, I, you know, I, I don't know what else what's to say. Call your local Congress person. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what, how, how you, how we are, how we're ever going to get uh, this kind of like, this elite, this elite billionaire class to, you know, care about the rest of us because they're obviously trying to uh, go live on Mars with, you know, extreme longevity or whatever they're. Yeah, right. We mentioned, you know, I, we talked about how white people live longer, uh, rich people live longer, you know, and how is that fair? You know, we, we, you know, we famously say money can't buy you love, but it can help you lease more life. Yeah. And, and that just doesn't, that just doesn't. <laughs> You know, that 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 is not good. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm with Senator Elizabeth Warren on, on these issues and I'm with you, Doug. You know, you, uh, the rich have to pay their their fair share. You just look at Social Security. Um, you know, most of us pay it all year long. The, there's a ceiling on how much of our earnings is taxed for Social Security. And, you know, the wealthy usually stop paying Social Security tax around the third week of February. Because yeah. they've already hit hit that you know that ceiling. If you're a millionaire, yeah, uh, and then you don't have to pay for the rest of the year, while the rest of us working slobs are you know are paying. So there there's a, a lot that needs to be done to even the playing field uh, for sure. Yeah, and it actually uh, not to not to sound silly, but it is kind of like you know what is life but your own personal experience and what you think about the things you see uh, when you see a pay stub. Uh, and, you know, throughout my life, a lot of paychecks I've gotten, you know, and I see what they took out. I see they took out Social Security and I never I never I'm never mad about it. I'm, I never go like, oh, those bastards took Social Security. <laughs> out. It's like that's correct. That's what they should be. But then I have been before, like, you know, uh, but, you know, I've had, I've had some gripes where I'm like, you know, how much of these taxes that they just take out? Did they just give to Lockheed Martin to build another? Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, Social Security, uh, Elon, if you're listening, just pay your taxes. God. <laughs> well, you know, wasn't it? Uh, it didn't didn't uh, uh, some uh, experts say that we could eradicate global po poverty with, you know, six billion dollars spent in a in a very strategic way. And and, you know, Elon was part of that conversation and, and that didn't happen. He didn't. He didn't ante up the six billion. Instead, he spent forty billion on Twitter and ran it into the ground. So. <laughs> yeah, he's a, uh, I think it's called a malignant narcissist. Is uh, the term? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, on the, uh, I'm I'm draw. Okay, I promise everyone listening, I will not bring that dude up again. I just 
it's, it's almost like a running joke at this point, but because because of social issues and because of billionaires, it's almost impossible not to bring them up. And because he's the one I dislike the most, he gets the uh, you know he gets the most heat. Uh, but on the same subject subject where we were before uh, the little tangent that I went on, uh, a lot of people over a hundred. Uh, not, not only are they not going to do landscaping, you know, they're not going to be out here doing hard labor. Uh, you know, they're also a lot of them are going to need assisted living because they're going to have a difficulty uh, with mobility, uh, maybe illness. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why they might need assisted living. Uh, also, maybe just cognitive issues. I mean, this is all very sad, but it all it's all yeah. we got to deal with it. And uh, it's going to be on a scale we've never seen before. We've you know never will never have never had need needed this much assisted living housing the jobs like the kind of people that are going to do the jobs are going to take care of the people uh so i guess the question like does the government have any plans do we have any solutions do you have any solutions the government doesn't have any plans to be honest with you to it it's really uh a, a very troubling situation uh you know <laughs> I have some ideas. I mean, I, I sketched them out in the book. I mean, one one would be sensible immigration. You know, we mm-hmm. we say that we're a melting pot, and we that's certainly how we began. Uh, you know, I my my uh, great grandparents came from Sicily and the Netherlands. It, uh, yours probably came from Ireland. <laughs> you know, I you know, I mean, it's look. Why are we you know why are we closing the door? especially when we have a lot of these caregiving jobs that aren't being filled. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, I, I grew up in Massachusetts where um, Haitian immigrants uh, have somehow uh, become this sort of niche in caregiving for elderly people. And they are do a beautiful job. And you'll find a lot of Haitian born people working in nursing homes and assisted uh, living facilities and uh, they do it with great joy and compassion and skill. So why, you know, why are we not, you know, why are we so xenophobic and so afraid? You know, why are we held, you know, hostage by uh, the political right when when we could find ways to sensibly let people in the country? Yeah. Uh, you know, all they want to do is make a living. Most people, you know, who want to come here, they they want the same things we want. You know. Uh, yeah. And, and so you know, this seems to me to be like a a pragmatic. Uh, and and doable thing, you know, but yeah, otherwise, uh, the costs of 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 getting, you know, buying uh, in care insurance are very, very expensive. Um, and nursing home care is off the charts. Again, in New England, where I live, it can be like eight thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So who has that? You know, I mean. Uh, no, yeah, uh, that makes actually so much sense on so many levels. And it's more. It's uh, I almost want to say two birds with one stone, but this I feel like I feel like it kind of it branches out into more than that because you are uh, you're addressing uh, poverty in a developing country because you're able to get people out of that situation where there is no work or very or very you know low paying uh, right. just not great work they can come here they can get paid you know uh, exponentially more. And then a lot of that money can be sent back to that country, which could also possibly stabilize the country itself, as well as the fact is what we're discussing specifically elders here that need care and they're going to need 
people, you know, people need to run these facilities, need to run these you know, things or do uh, home checks. I mean, there's so many jobs. It's a huge industry and it's only going to keep growing. And yeah, open up, open up the doors. Come on. <laughs> you know, and our, our birth rate in America is either flat or only incrementally increasing. Uh, and that's true in Europe, you know, as well. And they're, they're having the same problem we have. And they also have, you know, an incredible anti-immigration sentiment that's sort of sweeping society and uh, no one wants to talk about it, you know, but uh, experts I talked to told me that there's no uh, future for caregiving without immigration, you know, yeah. thoughtful immigration. So, yeah, it's uh, Canada is is opening its borders to immigrants, too, because it's, uh, you know, they have negative birth rates and 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 they want their economy to grow. And yes. they want to, you know, remain competitive. Uh, and that's one way to do it. So, yeah, lo lots of things to, to think about when we think about a hundred year society, you know, where, uh, yeah, it raises and, a lot of a lot of challenges. And and as far as like, uh, it, like, I, like I said, it, this branches out into, into solving more than just the fact that there is a lack of workers for this particular industry. You had talked about the xenophobia. You know what cures xenophobia? living around people that aren't like you. And so let's, Absolutely. let's say like, I mean, let's, I guess we could use Haiti as, as an example, because you said that that's, I mean, uh, would you say that's something that's in Rhode Island? That's a lot of Haitians. Well, in Massachusetts, you know, Massachusetts. Boston is actually, I think the third biggest, uh, uh, has the third biggest population of Haitian immigrants after Miami and New York city. So, yeah. Yeah. So like, say like, you know, someplace, Maybe down, you know, I, I live down here in the South and like, you know, you live, let's say you, you live in some town, you never, you've never met a person, you've never met a Haitian in your life. Suddenly there's a Haitian population. You start going, you eat, start, start eating at their restaurants, you start meeting them. Suddenly you don't have this uh, irrational fear of people from Haiti. And that's, uh, you know, that's right. I know it's not fully on topic for what we're talking about, but I'm just thinking about, you know, the the positive the positive impacts of this kind of of a better immigration policy just seem to like never stop growing it's like a tree absolutely yeah um let's see here what i was gonna say oh uh i feel like we did just talk about some of the sad sad stuff <laughs> uh, and as much as i don't want to get into some of the sadder stuff uh we have to because sure. it's, it's a reality and that's uh isolation loneliness and extreme old age is a serious issue uh not to mention you know if you live to 120 you have probably outlived uh most of your friends and family from the earlier parts of your life and uh i was curious like uh what do you think what do you think maybe what can we do as a society uh to try to try to try to alleviate isolation and loneliness uh for our elder citizens yeah, it's a challenge. Um, you know, my own mother is 92. She lives independently in the house I grew up in. Uh, and uh, her mother, my grandmother, lived to just shy of 104. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> there's a likelihood, a possibility that my mom may be a centenarian in the making, you know. But she's a person who you know, never got online. You know, she ne she doesn't have Wi-Fi in her house. She's never sent an email or liked or followed any anything. Yeah. Uh, and there's a you know there's a, a a subset of the population that's like that. So, our I only mention that because you know a lot of times we we think 
uh, in simple solutions like, oh, we'll just get plugged into social media and everybody will be happy clappy, as the Brits say, you know, and we'll all be connected. That's just not a reality for some of our oldest elders. Uh, but yeah, loneliness is a big problem. The, the U.S. Surgeon General uh, recently declared loneliness to be a public health crisis. And, uh, you know, the the uh, National Institute on Aging says that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So on our just being lonely is. Yeah. Yeah. It, social isolation and loneliness, because uh, it just uh, you can, you know, um, I remember being in Romania on assignment and uh, uh, looking at some of these state orphanages that they had back after communism collapsed and there was a lot of uh, disarray uh, in society. And, you know, we there were lots of stories written about these orphanages where these little babies were essentially in cribs by themselves that, you know, they, they didn't have parents, obviously. They were neglected. And they, some of them died in, in that care. You know, they, they just literally kind of lost the will to live. You know, I mean, it's, it's a mysterious interplay between our, our, our bodies and our brains. Yeah. But we are, we are wired for connection. And, uh, you know, when, when we don't have it, uh, we wither. And, and uh, so, you know, it's, I think we, we just need to um, think outside the box a little bit. One solution look most of us when we think about aging and and living very long and and maybe living to 100 we often think about geez i really like to live in my own house and even die in my own home i don't want to be in a nursing home and in an impersonal setting like that yeah so you know we call that aging in place and that's sort of the gold standard uh, and unfortunately for a lot of elders now, uh, they're living alone uh, in that situation. So where I live now in Rhode Island, uh, right on the outskirts of Providence, uh, you'll, you'll find a lot of multifamily homes. A lot of there's a lot of there's a large Latino community here. And um, so you'll see three generations living in the same home, like in a triple decker, you know, yeah. And so you'll have the, you know, the, the family with the, the kids in school, um, their parents and grandparents, you know, and everybody's sort of taking care of everybody else. So the, the grandparents are watching the kids so the parents can go to work. And then, you know, when they need care, uh, their grandchildren and children are, are taking care of them and they're doing life together and, and having meals. Yeah, it's very lively and beautiful, you know, and so, you know, that's one possibility maybe we need to get out away from our our sort of white uh way of thinking that you know the the way to live is to have a nice house with a lot of land all by myself and you know I, yeah i'm not sure that that may not be strategically the best way to live long it's um it's funny you when you when you mention it like in my mind i'm, I'm thinking about like the alternatives and like what would what would i choose you know let's say like you know, let's say I really, I luck out and I'm 90 and, you know, there is obviously a huge allure to do like the Bilbo Baggins, uh, <laughs> you know, lifestyle. So you're like, you know, I'm living in my, my hobbit hole. I've got my books. I've got all my, you know, stuff. I'm, you know, and, you know, but 
you know, and Bilbo Baggins seemed very content with that life, but that's a, you know, a certain type of, uh, of Hobbit to live that way. But, uh, you know, the other option, like you said, <clears throat> a nursing home might seem impersonal. It also, it also might feel like you're living in an ho- in a hospital, which is certainly not going to be pleasant, but then again, there's people there and there's, uh, there's stuff to do. You can have friends, you know, you can like, I assume they've got like a pool, you know, you can go do water aerobics, keep yourself fit. It's so absolutely. Yeah. It's a tough decision, man, between, uh, you know, uh, aging in place in the Shire, like Bilbo or, uh, you know, getting into like a nursing home, but with a lot of, a lot of friends. Well, you know, we we don't all age the same way and we're not wired the same way. So, you know, I mean, some of us are I'm an introvert, honestly, and I like being by myself, uh, you know, and I, I'm married to an extrovert who, you know, so we're you know, we're very different people. Um, but, you know, being lonely, um, not everybody's lonely. Some people are perfectly content. Again, my mom, 92 years old, uh, is very content to be by herself uh, and, you know, she watches TV, reads, plays solitaire. And we look at her and we're like, mom, I mean, you know, aren't you, aren't you lonely? She's like, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, I like it. Uh, I think loneliness as, as a, uh, as a health problem comes into play when people crave companionship and they can't get it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and a lot of us are like that too, you know? So we have to find ways to connect, um, and, you know, there there are um, my son lives in Vancouver, British Columbia, with his Canadian wife, and uh, they have a really cool uh, sort of pilot program there where they are um, having people in high rise apartments uh, who get a little stipend in exchange for looking in on the older folks uh, and sort of, you know, organizing activities for them and having a pizza night or a movie night or whatever. And it's just, they, they create little micro communities within the building. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's a very simple concept. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Vancouver sounds, I've never been. Oh, it's beautiful. I, uh, I, I visit Seattle very frequently. Yeah. And, uh, I, I go snowboarding up at Snoqualmie and that's like, I mean, you could like throw a rock and hit, canada from there and i know it's only like short drive to vancouver one of these days i gotta make that drive man oh it's so beautiful you should doug it's it's a gorgeous city i heard it was the most uh like if you want to feel like you're in europe without leaving north america vancouver's got that kind of vibe it's got that vibe it's also very asian Uh, you know there's there's a lot of asian folks and and the uh the influence on on the food culture is is really interesting too so if, if you like asian food that's a great place to be as well just but we take, digress just to take one step back i think i'm i think i'm like you in a lot of ways because you said you're an introvert uh and don't get lonely easily and i have a similar like i like my alone time like i love man like right now I've got the house to myself it's awesome you know and uh uh i could see like that would that's such an excellent solution where it's like you can age in place, but uh, some of your uh, younger uh, people in the community that come by, check in on you, you have a conversation, you know, so you're not like you're not completely alone you're not in solitary confinement. And right. then, you know, ideally, you might have like a Friday night 
like poker game or something with you know something where you go out yeah. and do something like uh that is truly very social so right yeah, you're right there's there's a million ways to look at this uh but uh, this is actually something i want so you were you know on the subject of the like the younger residents uh checking in on this is something you get into in the book <clears throat> and i mean it's it's a very complex thing like how did we get here you know it's probably not where we started but it's uh it's, I was just going to ask you kind of like, you know, what's up with like, a, you know, our, our youth obsessed uh, ageist culture, you know, and like, you know, is that a modern development? I, I believe I, I feel like it, I think it is. And uh, like, didn't societies used to have like more generally, was, wasn't there more respect for the wisdom of the elders? Like that's how you always feel like when you hear Native American stories, you would, you know, the elders are like who a young person would go seek. Yeah. I mean, ageism ha is not necessarily new, but, uh, you know, we lived differently. First of all, we didn't live as long, uh, yeah. you know, and so it was also very typical for families to live together, it, it, you know, uh, or in close proximity. And so, you know, life was done together and there was obviously a, uh, a respect for age. Um, and we're, you know, we, we have become a very youth obsessed culture. And, you know, it, it, so this is an interesting dynamic, because if more and more of us are going to live to 100, how are we going to uh, experience life in a culture that still really values youth over old age? Let's face yeah. it. And, I, you know, ageism, you know, the United Nations put out a big report uh, recently about ageism that it, it also is a, uh, you know, it has a negative effect on us. Uh, clearly. It can even, you know, affect our employment. Uh, sometimes people don't get promoted as as often or they just can't get work. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, friends and contemporaries of mine who lost work when they were in their 50s and had a hell of a time, you know, getting another position, even though they had tons of experience and, uh, you know, a really strong work ethic and all of that. So we see that in our society. And I think somehow... Um, maybe it'll change as we, as more of us become a hundred, uh, it may even swing, which would be unfortunate to where we become kind of ageist on the other end of the, of the extreme. And we look with scorn at younger people. <laughs> some, some boomers are, are already like that too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, this damn TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I, sp I've been spending a lot of time talking, uh, with reporters about, the age of our Congress and Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden. And, you know, again, this is a, an issue that's top of mind right now as we see some of those leaders falter. And, uh, you know, so that opens up a whole can of worms as well. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the fact is the fact is that, you know, the Constitution doesn't set upper limits for our age. It, it only sets lower limits, you know, so uh the yeah. framers, the framers of the Constitution clearly valued experience, uh, arguably over youth. You know, so uh, you know we're we're navigating that, and we're at a real interesting uh, crossroads there in terms of you know the demographics of our leadership, and uh, that's a whole other issue. Boomers are going to hold on to power for a while now. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, uh, 
Yo, we also the OK Boomer memes, you know, a couple of years ago. <laughs> I, but, you know, that, well, I yeah. loved that era, man. I loved that era. It was the best. That's back when Twitter was still cool. And uh, <laughs> and whenever, whenever like the most worst, just bigoted, vile, uh, racist type person would uh, try to argue with you and just nine times out of ten you could just say okay boomer and just send them into a spiraling rage that you know would bother them for the rest of the day uh that that, <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a pleasant time on social media alas uh the oh, bill wow. have taken that from us um <clears throat> bill i gotta tell you something man we're getting dangerously close to the lightning round Okay. Tell you how, okay, so the way the lightning round works is I ask you a series of questions uh, super fast. You don't have okay. any time to think. You just got to go with a gut reaction and okay. just say whatever comes uh, first in your mind. I did not write this lightning round. This was written by co-producer Colleen. I have no idea what I'm going to ask you. Uh, this is how we've been doing it re- recently. It kind of helps with me. It makes it more surprising. and then okay. also, But it also does make it more difficult for me to not interject. I promise to do my best to... Stay. stay <laughs> All right, off, let's do this thing. Okay, this one is called "What's Their Secret." Please speculate on why these celebrities reached or continue to reach such an old age, uh, living and dead. So, uh, not everyone on here is still alive. Uh, possible reasons include, but are not limited to, healthy diet, happy, joyful life, being rich as fuck, which is. She wrote AF. I probably should have said that. Anyway, deal with <laughs> deal with the devil, etc. And of course, feel free to expound on anything that pops into your mind when I say this person's name. Um, ooh, we've actually, you know what? We've we've actually covered several of these people already on the podcast. All right, first one. We you know her, you love her, Betty White. Positivity. Positivity. Do you, did you ever watch the the TV show Thirty Rock? Oh yes, of course. Yeah, she was fantastic on that because yep. she you know because you know she's such a nice person, but on the show she's always like super mean and she's always like uh like bullying Jack Donaghy. I loved it, loved it. Uh oh, but that's an alter ego for her. She was yeah like, <laughs> very sweet. She was sweet AF. Yeah, and she's also just a great actress, so she could pull it off. Yeah, uh, Mitch McConnell. Why is he still kicking? How's he still here? Deal with the devil. Deal with the devil. I mean, <laughs> you could see it. In, you know, uh, I I normally would not uh, say something negative about a person that's going through some kind of like uh, cognitive issues like this, but he has done so many horrible, horrible things to so many people and really uh, degraded the lives of so many people in this country. Uh, I would say that oftentimes when he uh, kind of stares into the distance, I think he might see the devil. Uh, Coming and calling for his uh, collection on uh, whatever he traded him. Uh, ooh, Sir David Attenborough, one of my favorites. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, pr- purpose. Yeah, he's he's such a purposeful guy. He's got he's very visionary. Uh, you know, he's always got something going on. Uh, and you know, he 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 contributed so much. Uh, yeah, I, I would just say he, you know, he was driven by a, a sense of purpose and, and wanting to contribute. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that makes a big difference moving the needle. I love that answer. 
if you don't mind, I would like to add one word to that too. And I would say uh, curiosity. Yes. Yeah. Like uh, the the, the yes. desire to always want to learn more yes. keeps you keeps you going because you want to know more. And he uh, right. clearly to this you know day wants to know more. Yep. Um, Robert Redford. Uh, devastating good looks. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, this has kept him alive. I mean, what else? I mean, there's no other answer. That no, falls I, into I, the the genes category. <laughs> I think. I think. I think. Obviously, yes, there are genes. But again, um, you know, a, a lot of these trace to uh, having a purpose, uh, wanting to uh, having something to live for. You know, yeah. I mean, he's he's just he's being able to reinvent himself in so many roles. And continues to uh, grow in his craft. So yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, he like he gets in the in the morning. He looks in the mirror and he goes, "Damn, I look good." And then he's got a, <laughs> he's got a positive attitude for the rest of the day. And that positivity and he does. <laughs> Man okay. crush. Oh, and I'm you know we almost uh, talked about this earlier because we were talking about Betty White and you know Bob Barker recently passed away at 99, which so many people had to point out was. As close as he could get to 100 without going over, which is part of the game of The Price is Right. But uh, yes. I, I, I digress on that. <laughs> but uh, Bob Barker, what do you think, man? Well, I think genes. You know, uh, honestly, uh, the guy, you know, I don't know anything about his diet. Um, he seems like a kind of a clean cut, you know, solid person. So I, I, I'm imagining there was something there. But genes, you know, we didn't really get into that too much. But look, genes. Uh, probably play about a 25% role in getting us to 90 and our behaviors, you know, drive us the 75% of the way. And then at 90, everything flips and genes account for 75%. If he lived to 99, he had some good wiring uh, from mama and grandma or whoever, whoever else. Do you remember? I don't know if you, if you ever watched the prices, right. But there's a, uh, there was a time this woman, I'm not that old. Okay. Come on, man. <laughs> this, <laughs> this woman uh got on stage and she was so excited to be on the prices right she ran and uh bear hugged bar barker so hard she broke his ribs did you know that oh, no i didn't know that and he couldn't amazing. he couldn't do the process right for like like months because he had to heal his ribs because she like busted him up bad so Ouch. and he survived that so i mean he's been through, he, he went through some shit all right uh Hey, Henry Kissinger. Well, again, he's it, genes. I, 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 my first impulse was to deal with the devil. <laughs> but I have to say, obviously, uh, anybody who's 100 has some genetic wiring. Yeah. You know, I, I talked with a, a uh, at length with one of the leading uh, longevity experts in the United States, Dr. Tom Pearls, who says that, uh, you know, when you start to reach these advanced ages, it's like hitting all five numbers plus the powerball yeah so yeah you know, somebody like kissinger just you know he 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 uh he hit the jackpot the longevity jackpot one can only hope that he stubs his toe every morning um <laughs> moving forward uh jane fonda jane fonda is it's got to be you know diet exercise and just you know living cleanly uh, you know, she she clearly I I remember her from those exercise videos and stuff yeah. that she, you know, I think she she optimized uh the things that we can do to position ourselves for a long life, a long and healthy life. 
you could I think you could even give her maybe a little uh in the in the world of purpose too because she's a yes, controversial absolutely. figure. What was what, what was her nickname like Saigon Jane something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. She was yeah. like one of the one of the most. She was probably like one of the first like celebrity uh, anti-war protesters in Vietnam. I think. Well, and 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 back in that time, she was like a person that people loved to hate. Yeah, yeah, kind of like Pamela Anderson because she had that kind of yeah. that vibe. Right. Okay. That was the lightning round. But man, I had one. one this is what this had popped in my head earlier, and it didn't seem like an appropriate time to bring it up. But have you heard of the Centenarian Olympics? Um, I'm 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 actually a, a competitive distance runner myself, and so I'm I'm aware of a lot of very old people breaking world records. I'm not aware of any particular, uh, you know, event where there are just hundred plus people. Is that is that a thing? Um, I believe so. I remember reading an interview with a doctor, and that's his specialty. And uh, he's, I think he's like maybe in his 60s, but he says that he's already training to be like a gold medalist in the Centenarian Olympics by doing his own special crazy, you know. I, all I remember him saying is that he did lots of goblet squats. So <laughs> so if you take, Fantastic. If, you want, if you guys want to take anything away from this, uh, uh, goblet squats might be good for you i mean they're definitely yeah. they're definitely good for you <laughs> you know and there's, there's there's even an argument to be made for pouring a little something nice into an actual goblet you know i yes. mean he started yes. out by talking about jean calamon who lived to 122 and she had a glass of port every day uh, yeah you know so i mean that was her thing oh, who you knows? know yo my my uncle or i guess my, my great uncle who uh you know just made it up here to around 90 and uh he actually, man, I felt like he was doing all the stuff that we just said you shouldn't do. He definitely lived in probably whatever the opposite of a blue zone is. Uh, <laughs> lived by himself in a cabin. Uh, drank whiskey. Uh, fought in World War II. So he was that was must have been stressful. But he would like, every once in a while, he'd call my mom and be like, my mom would be like, I think he's a little drunk. <laughs> Well, you know, there's there are people who do everything wrong and they still cheat, you know, the Grim Reaper. I, a friend of mine, I mentioned this in the book, uh, had a great grandfather who lived to 106 and he liked to drizzle bacon grease on his pancakes instead of maple syrup. So, you wow. know, I mean, that's that's not a healthy behavior. But <laughs> again, you know, genes uh, took him where, you know, diet and exercise would never be able to do. Yeah, I guess. One solid takeaway we're going to have to see, like, and people don't want to hear it because everyone wants to go like, well, can I just move to a blue zone? Well, can I just eat spinach? And it's like, well, you can, but uh, those genes are what, like, would you say 75% of the, how you shake it out? The the best thing you could do is pick good parents. Okay. <laughs> uh, man, I hope I did. Um, Bill, I got to ask you one last question, but it's the most important question of the day. Uh where can people uh, find you, follow you? And of course, your book, uh, The Big 100. The, uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking. The right New now. World of Super Aging. The new, I was kept saying super aging over and over in my head. I couldn't remember the first three words. The New World of Super Aging. The Big 100. The New World of Super Aging. I just read it, guys. It's fantastic. You don't got to take my word for it. Jane Goodall read it and she said it's fantastic. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Bill. Please go ahead and tell everybody uh, everything about it. 
How sure. So you can follow me on Twitter or X or whatever the heck we're supposed to be calling it right now <laughs> um, at Bill Cole, B-I-L-L-K-O-L-E. I also I'm there at Bill Cole Books. Uh, you can go to BillColeBooks.com and uh, and uh, you can shoot me an email there. Uh, I'm on Facebook under Bill Cole, Instagram. I'm on, I'm in all the usual places. But uh, I'm super excited. I hope that you uh, give the book a read. Uh, one little thing that's really fun is that the book is going to be appearing in Chinese, South Korean, and Portuguese for Brazil. So uh, there's going to be a lot of a uh, lot of uh, interest, I think, in it. It's it's kind of a subject that is sort of affects us all. Awesome, uh, Bill. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, man. I love this, dude. Thank you, Doug. I'm, my delight. Yeah. May you live a hundred years. Hell yeah. May you live a hundred years. Yeah, let's do it.